0: You're listening to Tori's Story, a young adult living with gastroparesis on the Child Life On Call podcast.
1: It's really hard to be a sick but healthy individual in this world. You need people who can relate. And luckily, with social media, it's really easy to connect with these people and share stories and draw inspiration from each other. And
0: Hello, listeners. I hope that you have enjoyed the different perspectives I've been able to share with you throughout Child Life Month. From an interview with a community-based child life specialist to a surgery story and supportive tips from a CCLS, I've tried to dedicate the episodes this month to feature the hard work that is put into our profession. To close out Child Life Month, I'll be featuring my interview with a young adult, Tori, She approached me about being on the podcast, and although she's not a parent, she has an incredible perspective about chronic illness that I feel is important to share. Both parents, colleagues, child life specialists, and the community could really benefit from hearing her story. What's special about sharing her story during Child Life Month is that in addition to being a young adult with gastroparesis, Tori is a child life intern embarking on her career to becoming a child life specialist. So without further ado, I'm honored to share with you my conversation with Tori. My name is Tori. I'm from outside Philadelphia.
1: Um, I still live, um, about five blocks away from, uh, where I grew up. I, um, currently am relocated to New York. I am doing my child life internship here. Um, I have lived outside of Philadelphia my whole life. Um, ended up at Penn State. And have always really had a passion for helping people, for um, volunteering. And I really just like giving back and
0: trying to make the world a better place. That's so great. I feel like that's why so many of us kind of get into this profession um, and then you kind of also have an interesting experience you're a little bit of a different interview for this podcast, and we talked about that one is that you're not a parent <laughs> um but you were kind of the <laughs> child with an illness, or so I guess you weren't really a child, but you know um an adolescent with an illness um and then you know you and your mom kind of having uh the relationship between it and I think you'll talk a little bit about that today with your family but um why don't you just get us started and tell us why um you're here on this podcast today.
1: Sure. Um, in my freshman year of college, um, I was uh, driving home from class and I got into a car accident. Um, I ended up with um, a concussion um, that lingered for a very long time. Um, and it um, progressed to both include migraines, difficulty focusing, um, dizziness to also, um, making me really nauseous and making me vomit. Um, I went for nine months continuously getting sick and, um, everyone kept telling me, you know, it's post-concussion syndrome. It's, it's something in your head. Um, it's, uh, anxiety. It's an eating disorder. Um, got everything under the sun. Um, and then I finally ended up in a new hospital. Um, and I begged them, I was like, please try and figure this out because I don't think it's in my head. Um, and they ended up testing my stomach and finding out that I had gastroparesis. Um, and what that means is, uh, I have delayed digestion. So food takes a lot longer to leave my body than it does the average person's. Um, so that can cause uh, the nausea, the vomiting, uh, and uh, really bad malnutrition. Um, it was interesting at the time because nobody could figure out why I had it. They weren't directly relating it to my um, accident, but it also all happened right around the same time. Um, luckily, I was able to take medication to make it uh make my symptoms a lot easier. Um, and through medication took me through the next, uh, three years of college. I was healthy. I was normal. Um, it was great. And then suddenly my senior year, I, um, started getting really sick again. Um, really, really sick. I couldn't keep anything down. I, um, nobody could quite figure out what was going on. And, um, I ended up going through a whole mess of tests to try and figure out why I was getting so sick. Um, and I finally got in with a specialist and he just said my digestion was even worse, that my stomach had almost completely stopped functioning and that, um, they needed to try more aggressive approaches. Um, I ended up with, um, TPN, which is, uh, IV nutrition. Um, and they got me approved for the gastric neurostimulator device. Um, gastroparesis has very very few treatments um, and at that point i had exhausted all of my options um, so this device has about a 50% success rate in helping symptoms of nausea and vomiting in patients um, but it can get it can be very hard to get approved by your insurance uh because it's not um, it's not a cure it it just helps certain and you're really tossing the coin, whether it's going to work or not. Um, so, uh, eight days before I was slotted to walk, um, and get my diploma, I had surgery to get, um, that place along with a jejunal feeding tube. Um, so I walked, um, uh, it was a running joke that my mom got to see me eat for the first time in nine months and walk for my graduation all in the same week. <laughs> um, so it was amazing. It was wonderful. Um, and I luckily was one of the lucky 50% uh, where the device greatly improved my symptoms. Um, and I was able to come off uh, the IV nutrition and able to rely, um, some on the tube feeds, but then, um, eventually was able to eat, um, which was amazing. I, uh, at that point I had gone almost a year without eating anything, um, which was really, really tough. Um, it was really hard for me. It was really hard for my family. Um, it was really hard for my long-term boyfriend at the time. We all just couldn't quite figure out why I had gotten so sick again. Um, like I said, I was, I was really lucky for a while The advice helped me really well. Um, and then actually during, uh, my child life practicum, um, I ended up starting to get really sick again. Um, and I crashed pretty hard, pretty fast. Uh, at one point I was admitted to the hospital with a heart rate in the 20s um, because my body was so out of nourishment that it was slowly shutting down, um, which was really, really scary. <laughs> it was horrifying uh, because nobody ever told us that gastroparesis could get this bad. Um, and we were not even slightly prepared. Um, I ended up with feeding tubes again um, and another pick line for uh, TPN. I had extended hospitalizations, um, but over the next three years, I was able to progress, and we were able to figure out the correct uh, formula of settings for my gastric stimulator diet uh fitness and just general life choices um and it's been a really long time i am uh i am i think two and a half years tube and uh central line free which is amazing (laughs) yeah it's
0: it's amazing (laughs) so yeah (laughs) wow do you mind talking a little bit more kind of about, um I guess this was all happening at a really kind of intense time of your life. I mean, you're graduating college, you're starting your career, and then did you have to put all of it kind of on the back burner to take care of your health issues and who helped you with that? Yeah, Um I so I started to get
1: sick. I was 22 when I got really, really sick. Um, I had just started legally drinking. I had just started really, um, I had just gotten back from Africa and I had these big dreams of graduating and, um, joining the Peace Corps and going international. Um, and then out of, and I was, I was slotted to graduate. I was going to graduate, uh, and pursue child life and get into the field and this just blindsided me and my family um, we my mom is a a has been a pediatric nurse my whole life um, and she uh she knows medicine so well and we all just sat there dumbfounded how could i someone who was very active um, and made pretty good choices with her health. Where did this come from? Um, and I was right at that age where I no longer was 18. So I was not a pediatric patient, but at 22, my mind was not an adult yet. I was not ready to be in an adult ward. I was not ready for adult, adult doctors didn't know what to do with me. Um, Because here was this patient that, you know, my doctors multiple times tried to address my mother for concerns when I would stand there and be like, I'm sorry, I am an adult and I make these decisions myself. Um, And that was really it was really tough. I saw uh all of my friends getting jobs and doing what they had gone to school for and moving out, and I was just left with this big question mark. I had no idea if I would ever eat again. I was, uh, I was getting invited to go on bachelorette parties and go do these things, and I would have to prepare my IV nutrition to bring with me. Uh, my life was so different than my friends all of a sudden and I didn't have anyone um, who could relate and that was really tough for me I uh, lost a lot of friends because uh, it was really tough for someone who was completely normal to suddenly be so sick and they couldn't relate to me <laughs> so um, but I my family, was an incredible support. Uh, they dropped everything to be there for me and um, were so very present. And my mom, I don't, if I didn't have a nurse mom, I I probably wouldn't be here today. <laughs> I would, uh, she took care of me, but she also enabled me to take care of myself, um, which was so important.
0: Yeah, it sounds like she taught you how to be your own advocate and ask for what you wanted and, and do what you needed.
1: Yes. Um, she, I'll never forget, uh there was a doctor who did not want to prescribe me TPN. Um, she felt like it was unneeded, even though I was too weak to get out of bed at this point. Um We had already done this once. I already, we already knew how my body would go. And she's turned to me and she said, you know, I'll discuss TPN with you when your mother's here. And I said, are you sure you want to do that? And she she waited and my mom got there and I said, Mom, my doctor wanted to talk to you. My mom had just gotten off night shift oh, no. and she walked up <laughs> to that nurse's station and that doctor was no longer my doctor after that. Oh, <laughs> she I said, You think I'm bad, you don't know what a fiery nurse mom will do for her daughter. Yeah. <laughs> my mom The lion, when it comes to her children, and I am so thankful for it because it's taught me to yell and scream for what I know is right.
0: For sure. So, what what was the physician's hesitation? in giving you the TPN?
1: Um, the really big part with having an invisible chronic illness is that even though I'm presenting with signs of severe malnutrition, um, and dehydration, um, and I am not it, with gastroparesis, a lot of times, um, tube feeds are tough because they're into the intestine instead of the stomach. So that's just not natural. Um, it's, It's really tough for my body to get to tube feeds. Um, And at this time, I had tube feeds going. I had just gotten my new J-tube, but I was just, I was not doing well. And I said, my body's not going to heal unless you give me TPN for a little bit to help. And she just didn't want to give it to me. She just kept saying, you know, there's no reason why the J-tube feeds aren't enough for you. Um, There's no reason that we can't increase the rate more than you are. And it, that's just a piece of medicine, unfortunately, is that the patient's experience is not always fully appreciated. Um, and they like to believe things don't physically hurt um, when really they do for some patients, and it's very individual. Um, so that was a large part of it, is that she she very much saw me as a what is this girl doing? She doesn't really look that sick. She's okay. She just needs to go home and get over this. And it's not, that's not what it is. <laughs>
0: How frustrating. Well, you're so, you, you, you're so educated and knowledgeable about gastroparesis now because you're going through it, but a lot of, um, adolescents who go have a chronic illness like that may not be as educated because it's just, it's hard to understand. So what do you think it was within you that wanted to learn as much as you could to be your own advocate? Um, Do you feel like you kept good track of what was happening when you were in the hospital? Did you kind of keep track of what you were able to keep down and what worked and what didn't?
1: I really, it was a lot of trial and error. That's for sure. Um, I think that Once you get over the fact that you have this illness and it's not going to go away unless you do something about it, Um, you you really have to. It took it took me a while. I sat there and I felt sorry for myself for quite a bit, and then you know I said the only way I'm going to get better is if I figure this out. So I did a lot of research. Um, I looked up different diets, and I did. I I I did a lot of keeping track of. Oh, this made me sick last time, like, but like it also had this in it, so maybe I can try just this ingredient. Um, I broke stuff down to the very vital small pieces, and I worked up from there um, i I reached out to a lot of sources, I read a quite a few books um with suggestions but the thing about gastroparesis is it's very individual in the way that it affects people um, so what works for somebody else will not work for me um, but it was yeah a lot of trial and error um a lot of having trial and error and then trial and error again the next time it would flare and just um I wrote a lot about my emotional experiences, but I wish I did was better at that documenting of cause and effect with, um, symptoms. I am not the best, uh, diary of symptoms, but while I was in the hospital, I had a lot of help with that from nurses and things like that. Um, and it's, um, it's a lot of finding what works for you and being open minded about things and just things aren't going to work unless you try. <laughs> that's the that's the biggest lesson.
0: Do you mind walking us through what those first few moments or days were like after you got that diagnosis initially? Did you feel relief? Did you feel kind of that doom and gloom or was it both? Um, So the first time I got diagnosed,
1: it was. A large relief for me because I had spent nine months thinking that this illness was a concussion that was, and they kept, they kept pointing out post concussion syndrome similar to what a lot of the football players get and that was really scary for me because I was sitting there like, I'm never going to get better. I'm just going to get worse because that's what a lot of people were telling me. If the symptoms were lasting this long, they could last for God knows how long. So when I finally, and then I had, I had professionals telling me it was in my head. I, I was checked. For pregnancy, I was accused of being bulimic and I, I was really happy to finally have a diagnosis and be able to be like, no, look, it, it isn't in my head. There is something actually wrong and you guys were ignoring it. You weren't <laughs> listening.
0: <laughs> yeah, you got validation to what you had been screaming from the rooftops.
1: Yeah, and I think it would have been a little bit different of a situation if I didn't have those three years, three, four years where I was able to use medication and be totally Almost normal. I think it maybe would have been a little bit different if I was really, really sick and we, I didn't get better and I had to fight through everything I had to fight through right in that time. But the fact that at that moment I got an answer, it was just such a relief. It was such a relief.
0: How did you and your family handle the diagnosis? It was
1: reassuring that we knew what was going on. I think what made us really frustrated was when we realized the hurdles that we had to get through to get me good treatment. Um, The medication that they put me on, we had to order from Canada, and it was a huge thing to try and get it here. There weren't as many, like, compounding pharmacies. Um, it was really expensive. We had to pay out of pocket for it. Uh, we had to change the food that we bought for a while. It, it was a lot of small things like that that we'd never had to think about before. So it was just kind of trying to focus, shifting our focus. Um, I... I am blessed with a very, very supportive family who is very understanding or strives to be understanding. Um, I, they try and make accommodations whenever they can. And really, um, it, we all, our troubles are all shared. There's nothing that anyone goes through alone. Um, so they, they were happy that, we had at least an answer and now we just had to figure out what worked for me. Um, And they, they did, they stood there with me troubleshooting medications and troubleshooting doctors. And I, it would have been impossible without them, especially when I was 19 at the time.
0: (laughs) Can you describe some of the misconceptions that come along with having gastroparesis?
1: Gastroparesis definitely shows it's, Symptoms in different ways in different people. So a large problem with for many gastroparesis patients, and when I am a um, when I am in a flare, is pain, um, and it's abdominal pain, and it is really really awful. Um, and but because it's abdominal pain, and we also pre- already present with delayed digestion. Treatment with things like narcotics is not really an option or can make people even sicker um, because it slows the gut down even more. Um, and just access to those medications. In order to get into a pain clinic as a chronic illness uh, person, I it took me forever to have when I was Really sick to get in and when I did, I was the youngest person by God knows how many years. I, uh, I stuck out and I don't present like someone who's sick. Um, especially if I'm able to get to a healthy weight, I don't look sick. And that's what we get a lot when we stumble into the ER. It's, but you, you look fine. You're so young. How can you be this sick? Um, gastroparesis also very often presents in, uh, girls, um, from, Late adolescence to early adulthood, um, and it shows up out of nowhere. Um, there's many cases similar to mine where it just it comes up out of nowhere, and uh, it's it's really tough to prove yourself because a lot of people see it. And they like to label it as drug seeking or label it as an eating disorder or attention seeking. And it's, uh, very hard to, it it can be really hard to get good treatment. It it's, it's really hard to find good doctors who are willing to take on a patient like me, um, Especially now that I already have such a complicated background. I'm, I, I, they all say you're too young. Um but again, I'm too old to be pediatric. So we're, we're in that very weird, nobody wants, nobody wants to hang out
0: with us crowd. <laughs> Yeah, have you gotten to meet other people with gastroparesis, or how did you connect with them? Yes,
1: I um, when I got my first pick line, I um, let myself melt down for about five minutes, and then I got on Google and I started searching, and I I started eating up as much information as I could about. Uh, TPN about feeding tubes about my stimulator um and I uh on Facebook there is um there well there's, there's this organization organization called GPACT um which I am not going to remember what it stands for right now but they have um s- support groups on Facebook um based on age so I joined because at the time I was I was, I was still considering myself, I joined the teen and young adult one. Um, and I met some girls there who I am still talk to very often. Um, and they're the ones who talked me through getting my first feeding tube. They're the ones who talked me through, uh, treatment options and what worked for them diet-wise and what didn't work for them. Um, They're the ones who got me through endoscopies and colonoscopies and all these new things because in adult world, there is no child life. And if you don't have nurses and doctors who take the time to explain these things to you, you're on your own to get information. Um, so I really relied on these girls. Um, and I used Instagram. I looked up the hashtag, um, gastroparesis and I found a whole group of what, what we call spoonies, um, because of the spoon theory. And, um, some of those girls, I've, I've, I was in, uh, my friend Lindsay's wedding. I met her, totally stumbled upon her on Instagram and I, I was in her wedding. I, I've met many, many people. I have traveled to see my friends. Um, I have sat with girls in, in the waiting room at my hospital because I know how crappy the hospital is and I want to support them. I've, you know, I've flown out to visit people when they're in the hospital. I, I try and stay active and aware because like we need each other. It's really hard to be a sick but healthy individual in this world. You need people who can relate. And luckily, with social media, it's really easy to connect with these people and share stories and draw inspiration from each other. And, yeah, they've been a very, very big part in in my growth through chronic illness, and I'm very thankful for them.
0: Sure, and, I mean, you go for such long periods without eating food, which is just like' it's hard to comprehend, yeah,
1: um
0: i when I first started going
1: completely- w- without food, it was such an odd concept i but and you don't as thinking of it now or thinking of it as a healthy person, you think of the concept as crazy. People are literally like, I could never give up eating, I could never feel that bad. But I, I got to the point where I, I just couldn't, couldn't do it anymore. It's, it's, it's so hard to eat knowing that you're gonna get sick. So, at at no point I would, would, at no point did the doctor say stop eating because they always encourage you to try. Um, But I think that in total, I went about, like, two and a half years without eating anything by mouth. Um, And taking away food is so much more than taking away nourishment. It's taking away the social opportunity. It's it's taking away, like, such a comfort. I really struggled with finding comfort because, for me, cooking and, like, sitting down and eating something that I loved or something that reminded me of someone that brought me comfort. Um, I really struggled. I I I almost always get sick around Thanksgiving. It's like, uh, it's like, that's just the time of year that I go into flare mode. And so Thanksgiving is always a really hard holiday for me because it's all about food. Um, and, that made me very, very conscious of how much our culture and culture in general is revolved around meals and food um, and that was so hard i I would have really bad anxiety to sit down for a meal. I didn't want to do it like it was hard to be around food. <sighs> you lose your hunger, but at the same time, you're still so hungry. Um, and it's, I don't think it's, it's not, it's not just hunger for the food. It's, it's hunger for the, the sense of sharing that time with people. And it's, it it was really hard to adapt my life to that, um, really hard you just, you just miss eating. <laughs> it's just so like, you just, it's a, it's a very enjoyable piece of life that it makes you almost feel unhuman. You, you don't, it, it affects your perception of time. And it, it just affects so many pieces of your life um, that you don't really
0: realize until you have to do it. We take it so for granted eating meals and, you know, just thinking about yeah. what you, you have to go through. It's just, it's, it's hard to comprehend.
1: Yeah. Um, even now I have, I, I stick to a very strict Tory friendly diet, I call it. <laughs> um, and, uh, people are always like, Oh, like I can't believe you eat that. Like, but it's food to me. So I, anything I eat now, I am. I, I have still not lost that gratitude of being able to eat and like every, every single thing I get to eat, it's, it's awesome to me because I, I'm able to hold it down and I'm able to turn it into, you know, energy to be able to do the things that I love. And it's, it makes you very, very uh, appreciative for eating.
0: What were some, if any, positive or unexpected or surprising moments that you've kind of had since you've gotten diagnosed with this illness?
1: Before I got sick, um, I was a pretty negative person. I... Struggled with depression. I really struggled with my perception of the world. Um I saw it as a pretty negative place. Um and I felt like it was my job to make it brighter. But ever since I've gotten sick, um I see the beauty in it absolutely every day. I notice things like the color of the sky, I I Listen to my nephew's laughter, and it makes me cry because I think it's so beautiful and so important. And I didn't have this appreciation for time and for the detail in life before. Um, I, I, really, really appreciate my relationships. I, the people who stood by me through all of this and who continue to support me, I uh, they're. They're amazing, and they just make me even more resilient. Um, and I just, I find it so easy to find the positives in things now. Um, I, I, I appreciate absolutely everything, and I, I feel like I've been given this second chance, and that I, I, I can spend it. You know, I can spend it trying to see and do as much as possible because life's not about, you know, life isn't about how much money I'm going to make, and it's it's not gonna, it's not about the job I have. It's about what I do, and it's about the way that I look back and see what I've done and what has made me happy. Um, And I've definitely learned to find happiness in a one bedded room with one window that faces the uh, never forget it, that brick wall. And I will never, you know, if I can find happiness hooked up to a feeding tube and a TPN, like I think that people need to realize that you can find happiness anywhere. It's really, it's, it's very easy when you take a step back and, think in perspective and you know see the color in that sky and really listen to your kids laugh like it it's it's all beautiful and it's all positive so
0: yeah I mean because no one would blame you for <laughs> feeling the opposite you know for you know. having all these struggles and then you know being negative I mean because you're going through so much but but what you're saying is just it's truly remarkable that you're able to just to find the goodness in life. And it, it makes people like me who like get really upset when the garage door won't go down. And I tell it to you, but I've hit the button five times. Like Maybe I should just take a deep breath <laughs> and think about um like how lucky I am to have a garage door. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I, uh,
1: you know, I, it's my illness still, unfortunately, touches my life every day. But I am able to take a step back and, you know, be thankful, just be grateful for it and be like, you know, maybe it didn't make me feel great. I didn't feel awesome all day, but I was able to do this, this and this. And, you know, and that's all that matters at the end of the day is if if you can reconfigure the way you look at things and you focus on the positives, then your life's not going to look as dark. Sure. I love that.
0: Um, who, what, or who has helped you the most through this process? Music, um,
1: was, was, and continues to be a foundation of my coping. Um, Eminem has gotten me through more hospitalizations (laughs) than I could, you know, say for anything else. Um, but, uh, my sister, my, my sister Tyler, during one of my hospitalizations, um, through every hospitalization actually has always been the one to try and teach me that positivity um to find the good in every day um the one hospitalization she helps me to to start essentially gratitude journaling but putting it up on my wall so I see it um and I've you know I've taken that with me through every every stride and every, every day. Um, I, I, you know, there's so many people that have gotten me through this and I have not lacked an army because at any step of the way I have had the biggest army behind me. um, And I've had my amazingly supportive, silent yet strong and, you know, My best friend, my boyfriend has been there through it all and that's been incredibly awesome. And my mom and dad have dropped more, dropped more things and been there for me through absolutely everything. Have picked me up from the ER at three o'clock in the morning, have, you know, jumped over hurdles and paid medical bills and not let me stress about anything except getting better and that I I will never be able to repay them for all that. I, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a wild ride and there's been so many things that have helped me through and so many people that have truly made it all possible. And I, I think they all played such a big part in it.
0: What's helping you cope now, I guess, present day. Um, I'm currently playing with Play-Doh. Um, <laughs> that's <laughs> that's uh, soothing some
1: of my interview nerves. Um, I um I'm a, am a pretty big writer. Uh I I try and write often. Um I I as I said, I'm really creative um and really expressive through crafts. I love to collage. Um I I am a very, very big, um, I'm very big into yoga and that really, really has been a huge part of not only my coping, but my treatment. Um, it's really helped my symptoms a lot. Uh, I run, I love running. Um, uh, my boyfriend and I love to go hiking. Um, I love the outdoors. If I can be outside, then I feel better almost instantly. Um, It's And it's also taking my experience and pulling good from it. So I'm a really big advocate in the gastroparesis community, and I offer a lot of support to patients and families, Um, especially I found a lot of um, parents who have teens um, who really just don't know what's going on. I've been really able to connect people with a lot of helpful resources and just um, talk them through some of the scary parts of it and just validate their experiences. And that that for me that I am able to take my negative and turn it into a positive for someone else's experience is so it's it's worth me having to have gone through it, honestly, Um, because I'm able to help someone with my struggle.
0: Well, you're amazing, and you wrote to me and you said it's a bad day, not a bad life, and I I really like that motto. Yes, a hundred percent. What resources would you recommend to someone who has gastroparesis, or maybe a parent who has a child with gastroparesis? What what resources helped you? The
1: spoon theory um is really great for adolescents and adults who are diagnosed with gastroparesis or any chronic illness. It just talks about how having a chronic illness um, is kind of like... She goes into this whole metaphor about spoons and how you go into every day with a certain amount of spoons. Um, and a normal person has pretty much an unending drawer of spoons. And somebody with chronic illness only has a certain amount. And each activity you do, you give a spoon. Um And for someone like me, I might run out of spoons halfway through my day and have to decide what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. But the average person, you know, just can go back in the drawer and grab another spoon. Um, So it's a really, really nice metaphor to have um, that that kind of puts chronic illness in chronic, especially chronic invisible illness in perspective. And then Andrea Gibson's um, An Insider's Guide to Being Sick is a really good poem that I love. Um, definitely only for adults, it does have swear words. Um, but the um, the line I always really hold dear that I've turned into my mantra is, this is my life, this is my precious life, this is how badly I want to live. So again, just a, it's a really good reminder of, this is the life that I got, And uh, we have to make the best of it. Um, You know, you don't get to choose, but you want to live it to the best that you can. Um, So, yeah, those those have all been great help for me in this journey.
0: Well, and as a fellow. Child life specialist and you're going to be one, I guess, at the end of your internship, which is so exciting. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. I so just, excited. Um, I mean, I'm so lucky to have somebody like you in our field who, who really gets it and is such an advocate. And you're going to be able to help so many people and families and children, um, just based on the perspective in your, your attitude. So I can't wait to see what you do and where you end up and where your first job is going to be. Thank you. (laughs) Me too. Me too. Tori, you are awesome and have such an amazing perspective. And I am so thankful that you were able to tell your story with all of our listeners today. And we wish you the best of luck at the end of your child life internship. In addition to some of the things she talked about, like the poem and some of the inspirational quotes, she also recommends GPACT, the Feeding Tube Awareness Foundation, and just reaching out to groups on social media as three other great resources. I will link to all of these on the show notes page of this episode. If you would like to connect or follow along with her, she is more than happy to talk with fellow patients or parents or anyone that may have questions. You can find her on Instagram at stories of storiesoftories. As always, I'm just so thankful that you tuned into this podcast today to listen to more stories about the patient perspective of what happens in the hospital. If you like this podcast, I'd be more than honored if you went to Apple Podcasts and left us a review. It helps other people be able to find and connect with our stories. Also, make sure you're following along on social media so you can get the links that I tag from the resources that people mention, and also you get to see beautiful pictures of the stories that you're listening to. Thanks so much for tuning in and have a great week.